We begin with this word of encouragement from Pastor Ed Taylor. You want to do what God's called you to do and just get, get on that track and just do it. Because you're going to have opposition, you're going to have difficulty, and it's worse when you're not serving the Lord. Some people think it's worse when you're serving the Lord. It's actually worse when you're disobedient. You'd rather have warfare pressing on, not have warfare in retreat. You don't want to get shot in your back. If you're going to get shot, get shot in your chest. Go forward. Spiritually, of course. But you go forward. You can move forward. You press on. You want to say at the end of your life that, hey man, I have served and I've finished the work that God's given me to do. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Calvary Chapel Aurora presents Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We've got a great study lined up for you, so find your place in 1 Kings 7. After years of planning and laboring, Solomon and his crew are just about to finish the temple. And we've learned that this building project has a lot to say about being faithful and reliable in our service of the Lord. But there's also something to be said of heaven. You see, it's a picture of a type of heaven. And we're going to be encouraged to adopt a sense of urgency to bring as many to heaven with us as we can. The Bible says not to neglect the gathering of ourselves together as the such as some are doing right now. So in your church family, wherever and whatever it might be, God has called the assembly together and you're to be a part of the assembly. God has called you to serve. God has called us to give. God has called us to be generous in our love for one another. We can't just make it up along the way. And so in these, in these specific measurements and all of the various areas of worship, God is very precise. And notice he says in verse 27, there were these 10 carts of bronze, four cubits, um, all the way through describing to the end of verse 39, um, there was this, lar along the large tank, there were 10 portable tanks with wheels um, where they could take the water of purification to the priest that would, might need it. And you can read that all for yourself later on. Verse 40, Hiram made the labors and the shovels and the bowls. Hiram finished doing all the work that he was to do for King Solomon on the house of the Lord. You want that? Just mark that if you haven't already in your Bible. Hiram finished doing all the work that he was to do for King Solomon on the house of the Lord. He was faithful. He was hired to do a job, and he did the job. He was faithful. And there's something to be said about, you know, the Bible speaks of us serving our employers. Don't moan and don't groan. The Bible says for us to serve our employers, not with eye service, but that whatever we do, we do as unto the Lord. And we don't cop an attitude because maybe we don't like our employer or we don't like our current position or we don't like our supervisor or we don't like our computers or we don't like our life or whatever, whatever it is. You can't have your life as a believer of Jesus Christ at the end of your life that you didn't finish what you were hired to do or what you were enlisted to do. Like God wants us to finish. He wants us to finish strong. We've seen that in the context of a few other Bible studies in the life of our church lately where Paul was just able to say, I finished the race that God gave me, man. I went all the way to the finish line. 
And the same is to be true stepping back a little bit and say, hey, look, believers in Jesus Christ should be the most faithful, most reliable people on the planet Earth. People that keep their word. People that, that go above and beyond. Jesus said to go the extra mile when you're commanded to do something. But usually when we're commanded to do something or somebody doesn't ask us kindly, we cop an attitude, you know. But no, man, even when a Roman soldier comes and taps you on the shoulder and says, take this a mile, you don't even worry about it. You take it two miles. You go the extra mile. I like, I just love that. It just speaks to me that Hiram finished doing all that he was hired to do. And then it says in verse 41, he finished the pillars, the bull-shaped capitals, all the pomegranates. I mean, it goes through, he did a lot of work. Verse 43, the 10 carts, the lavers, the sea, 12 oxen, the pots, the shovels. Now, don't, he didn't do it all on his own. He had help. But a lot of the work that he did, he did. And certainly he was probably involved in the things that he was most talented in. It says in verse uh, 47 that Solomon did not weigh all the articles because they were so many. The weight of the bronze wasn't even determined. Solomon had all the furnishings made for the house of the Lord. The altar of gold, the table of gold on which the showbread, lampstands of pure gold, five on the right side, five on the left in front of the inner sanctuary. Uh, with the flowers, the lamps, the wick trimmers of gold, the basins, the trimmers, the bowls, the ladles, the censers of pure gold, the hinges of gold, both of the doors of the inner room, the most holy place, the doors of the main hall, the temple. Thus, all the work that King Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver, the gold, the furnishings, and put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. There were so many things that were used in the regular worship of Yahweh, of Jehovah. So many things that were not really known or seen by most people. I think of it in the life of our own congregation. There's so much going on in, in through our congregation. There's so much that God is doing through us as the Spirit of God is moving among us that, that you don't know about, that I don't know about, but the Lord knows. Such detail. There are things that you're praying about right now that's just between you and the Lord about what he wants to do in your life, what kind of step of faith you want to take, what, what, what he's doing to stretch you, what humility he's bringing about in you. And it's just so exciting. It's so encouraging that there's so much to be done in the name of the Lord in these days. Now, when you would walk into the temple, when you would walk into the temple, it would become a, a picture and a type of heaven it would remind you of the heavenly realm. Just like sometimes, even in the plainness of our building, sometimes in the house of worship, it takes you outside of the normal, crazy things that you experience today. You're worshiping, you're singing the songs that Henry's leading us in, and you're just singing the songs, and I'm sorry for reminding you, but for the sake of making a point, you had a bad day today. When you were singing, you forgot about the bad day, but I just now remind you about the bad day, and you're like, thanks, Ed. Bring Henry back up. I will in just a moment. But that's intended to, that's one of the benefits of coming together. That when we come together, you know, there's such harmony among us, isn't there? Where the voices just seem to mix together. And it doesn't matter if you're a good singer, bad singer, or anything in between. God is able to take our voices together and just mix, and they just come together and they harmonize. It, it's, it's a type and a picture. The temple is, at least, of, of heaven, and, and this is, you know, this is a little bit of a type of heaven in that sense as we gather together because our eyes and our hearts are really getting heavenly. We're really wanting to press into the things of God. 
we're really wanting to grow. You're listening to Sharon, and you're just so encouraged that God is moving on the earth. In the next couple weeks, you're going to hear from other missionaries. You're just going to be so encouraged. You're going to start praying for them more. You're going to start praying for yourself. You're going to go downstairs, and you're going to pick up a card and begin to pray or visit a table. You're going to say, no, man, life is bigger than Denver. Life is bigger than Aurora. Life is bigger than Colorado. Life is bigger than the United States. God has come and sent his son to save the world. The world. I mean, that's what he said, that God so loved the world. And it does begin here. That's the model. The model is it starts at home. It, it, it even starts way before Aurora or whatever city you live in. It starts in your home, your house. Even if you're renting a room from someone, it's your room. It is you. Even if you're roommates, you've got 10 people living in this, it's you. It's you. It starts with you. And then you begin to reach those that are close to you. Jerusalem, home base. You've got to be faithful at home. Because if you're not faithful at home, if you move 10,000 miles away to the other side of the world, you're not going to be any more faithful 10,000 miles away if you can't even go across the street to minister to your neighbor. You're not, it's not going to change overnight. As a matter of fact, it's going to get harder when you leave your culture. It's going to get harder when you leave your comfort. It's going to get harder when you eat different food. It's going to get harder when you don't know the language. It's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. So you want to learn faithfulness right here and now. And how do you do that? You do that in the life of your local church. And then... Some of you are called beyond Aurora, beyond Denver. You're called to our state. And so you're going off to different places to minister in different places around our state, maybe planning a church somewhere, or maybe to the United States. You just have a call. I know that when Marie and I were praying and just really trying to discern where God was going to send us, he made it clear that it was going to be within the United States. He made it clear to us. That's how he's made me. He's made me as a mobilizer. Uh, that's, that's my role in missions. My role in missions is through the, the, the role of pastor-teacher to train and equip and send. That's, God made that clear. He didn't make it clear what scope. I never, I never imagined, guys. Just like I hope, I hope you have times like this in your life. But I never imagined. I never imagined in a million years that I'd be, be able to be a part of so many wonderful lives. And so much that's going around the world. You know, you have to understand, I'm, I, I know as of late, um, it seems, I mean, and I, I travel. Um, but you've got to understand, I don't like traveling. I get sick all the time. Planes are the dirtiest thing on the planet Earth. And I get sick every time I go. Uh, I'm, I'm not real good with eating foreign food or any kind of food that Marie hasn't cooked. I'm not really good with the, I'm just a real plain person. Uh, I don't like traveling. I don't like jet lag. I don't like, I don't like any of that until God brought a brother into my life. Uh, his name is Bill, William, and he just kept hounding me, hounding me. Well, also Dave Gordon, both of them just would not let up that, Ed, you don't understand. Pastors have to go. They have to go see it for themselves. They have to go encourage. And I just finally said, leave me alone. I'll go. And that's when we started ministry in Egypt, in Cairo, in the slums. And my heart was just broken. And, and Dave and Bill and many others were absolutely right. When we do these short-term trips, church, they're not vacations. We're not doing it just to get you out of Aurora. We want you, we want you to have your heart knit together with another people, to get out of your rut, to get out of your normal stuff, to, get, to, to go and have to get sick on the field. You know, learn what it like. And, you know, when you're a missionary and you get sick, you get sick. You got to serve. You got to learn how to rest. And, you know, you, there's all kinds of lessons to learn that if you don't ever step out in faith, like we don't do short-term trips just to do them. We do them to support the missionary. We, the goal of our short-term mission trips 
is, is really singular. And then everything else comes outside of that. And that is to go and, and help and serve the missionary and leave them refreshed and more encouraged than when we came. It's not sightseeing. We're not on a sightseeing trip. We're, we're not on, although on some occasions, some, some countries we can only get on a tourist visa. So we may take a day to go see something. So we're not lying. We came in as tourists. We're going to go tourist something and see something. But that's only so that we won't be liars and we'll, we'll tell the truth. And then we'll spend the rest of the time ministering the gospel. That's what in Cairo, we saw things during the day and we served at night because that's what they did. They didn't do anything during the day. So we would go see things or sleep in a little bit and then we'd serve all night. It's amazing. It changed my life. It absolutely revolutionized my life. Uh, and I, I think it's God wants to do that in your life. He wants to revolutionize your life, whether it's taking a step of faith in a short-term trip or, you know, we have this thing at the children's hospital. You don't even have to leave the city. You can take a step of faith and go serve in children's hospital. You could go serve on um, the apartments up north. You can go serve. I mean, there's thousands of things you can do through the life of this, this church alone, let alone all the other organizations and things going on around in our city. But like the time is short and the coming of the Lord is at hand. And like Hiram, like Bezalel, um, and you can say his name better than me, you want to do what God's called you to do and just get, get on that track and just do it. Because you're going to have opposition, you're going to have difficulty, and it's worse when you're not serving the Lord. Some people think it's worse when you're serving the Lord. It's actually worse when you're disobedient. You'd rather have warfare pressing on, not have warfare in retreat. You don't want to get shot in your back. If you're going to get shot, get shot in your chest. Go forward. Spiritually, of course. But you go forward. You can move forward. You press on. You want to say at the end of your life, you want to say at the end of your life that, hey man, I have served and I've finished the work that God's given me to do. So we're going to be real blessed in the next couple of weeks, like I said, about some missionaries are going to be coming in and, and they're going to be sharing what God's doing in their life. They're going to be sharing the word with us and encouraging us and stirring us. And, and as you, you come in, you... you I don't know how I got off on that because uh, we're talking about the temple being looking like heaven. So let me finish that. But there's an urgency. I see how it's all tying together. And I wasn't, um, I didn't, I was doing a hospital visit today, so I wasn't in staff meeting. So um, I forgot Sharon was sharing tonight. So she just ministered to my heart, like as if I showed up like you. Um, and, and so that was kind of cool. All right, write this down. Ready? Once you enter the temple, you're earning like a picture of heaven. The gold is always a metal symbolic of the heavenly scene. Brass is a medal of judgment. Silver is a medal of redemption. Remember, Judas betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And in the tabernacle, there was even the silver sockets there. Uh, it, it becomes a medal of redemption. Um, gold, we know, speaks of heaven, as I mentioned already. So when you enter into the temple, you're entering into the model of a heavenly scene. In the New Testament, the Bible says that the tabernacle was actually a model of heaven. The temple was built after the model of the tabernacle, except it was twice as big. So when you come to worship, you know, we don't come to the temple anymore. We, we realize that we're now the temple of the Holy Spirit. That when you come to worship and you're gathering together at a building or a place, whether, again, if it's a building and self-standing, like, you know, freestanding like this, or you're renting a school or a strip mall or whatever, meeting under a tree, when you gather together with the saints, when you turn your heart toward the Lord, heaven is always before us. The best is still yet to come for us. Heaven is going to answer all the questions that are on your heart right now. Heaven is going to reunite you with loved ones that have gone on before you. Heaven is going to, you know, greater than all the little things that we want, although there are significant, but they're little compared to being in the presence of Jesus. 
where you'll be melted by his, by his look. You'll be melted by his, his, like, man, when the Bible says he sat down at the right hand of the Father, man, there he is. There you are. And I know we get bogged down in the things of the world. We get bogged down with our bills and we get bogged down with our difficulties. We get bogged down with our temptations. We, we, get, we get just, you know, we feel like we're being trapped. Um, we make stupid decisions. I was speaking to someone this week um, that I actually connected with on a trip that I did um, that, that I taught at the church and I met them. They, they resonated with something I said and, and so I stayed in contact with them. And, and man, it's like, a, it's like an honor um, to be available, to be used to the Lord. It's an honor to be in people's lives. It's a privilege. And, and th- when, they, when they get into crisis, and they also have a connection with Pastor Jason here, Jason Klein, when they get into the crisis, they call a thousand miles away for help. That's pretty powerful. That doesn't speak, uh, don't misunderstand me, I'm not speaking about me in any way. Because it's not me. It's the Lord putting people together. And make yourself open, would you? Be a person that someone would call a thousand miles away. Be obedient to the things of God. Get your house in order. Get your finances in order. Get your head in order. Like some of you are planning, maybe not here, but maybe listening on the radio or watching online, you're planning to sin right now. You are actually planning it out. You're planning how you can get out of it. You're planning how you can lie around it. Get your head on straight, man, and serve the Lord. Throw your plans away. Don't don't continue on with that relationship. Don't continue to lie. Don't don't plan to sin. The Bible says stay innocent in what is evil, but excellent in what is good. Use that mind power to serve the Lord. Dig deeper into the things of God. Start planning righteousness. Start planning what your life might be like in a life of obedience. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Ask for forgiveness. I mean, think of what you can do. But man, if you keep doing the same thing, you're going to crash and burn. You're not going to be a person that's sensitive to the needs of others. You're not going to be a person that's obedient. Even when everybody thinks you're crazy, God doesn't think you're crazy because he's the one that told you to do it. I'm encouraged in this chapter. It's not much but a bunch of detailed things about the temple, but I'm encouraged about the urgency. I'm encouraged about the urgency. Last time we were in this chapter, the Lord brought out the emphasis of lukewarmness. And that's kind of where we ended. But this time, God brings out the sense of urgency, the sense of heaven, taking as many people to heaven as we can, the sense of obedience, the sense of, hey, God is not finished with you. He has compassion on you in your weakness. He has compassion on you in your stumblings. God loves you. He loves your kids. He, he loves you as you are. He didn't stop loving you when you failed. He didn't stop loving you when you had that thought. He didn't stop loving you when he backslid. He didn't stop loving you when you got depressed. He didn't stop loving you when you went backwards instead of forwards. His love, the Bible says, his love, he's drawing you with his cords of love. You could say that he's tethered to you by his love. You could say that his love is a motivating factor of serving him. Paul would put it this way. He says, the love of God constrains me. The greatest motivator on the planet earth is love. And God loves you. And he cares for you. And he cares how he's going to use you for the purposes of his kingdom. Even in the pain that you're in right now, 
even in the unfairness and the injustice that you're facing right now, even in the fractured relationships and, and maybe some things went south that you didn't expect ever to go south, but they did. Well, God has allowed them into your life so that you might see your own heart and your necessity of him. It didn't end when you were born again. Born, being born again only awakened you to a deeper need of God in your life because you didn't see your need when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But when you were born again, you came alive. And the greatest thing that you and I came alive to was the love of God. And isn't it true that every day we're learning a little bit of how wide his love really is, how high it really can be, how deep it's really going in our lives, how long of a patience of love that God has for us. It's just every day we wake up to a new facet of his love and his goodness and his grace. And Jesus said that he would know, people would know that we're his disciples. Why? But by our love for one another. And so walk in love with a heavenly mindset. Worship the Lord in joy and gladness. Let him, let him have his way with you, church. Let him have his way with your family and with your singleness. Let him have his way. Submit to him. The Bible says that God gives grace to the humble, but what? He resists the proud. Let him, let him speak to you. Be open to something fresh and new. Be looking for it. Dig deep for what God wants to show you in his love of your life. And, and as you do, as you open yourself up to that, he will. He'll show you. He'll reveal it to you. And he has much in store, even more for us. So read ahead in 1 Kings 8. It's 66 verses. We're going to finish that in 30 minutes. There's quite a bit here. So good. So, so blessed. You're listening to Abounding Grace with our Bible teacher and pastor, Ed Taylor. To give this a second listen, all you need to do is call and request a CD copy. Reach us toll free at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or access the messages online at calvaryaurora.org. Again, we're at calvaryaurora.org. We'd like to suggest adding a couple of apps to your mobile devices. Look for the Calvary Aurora app and Grace FM Colorado app available on all platforms. They're free and a great way to fill up on the teaching of the Word wherever you may be. Ed, we've just entered into November. Can you believe it? And with that, we've got a new resource to share with our listeners. What can you tell us about it? <laughs> no, Larry, I can't believe that we're in November already. Christmas is around the corner. Uh, my kids are grown, and God has done such a great work. You know, that's the fruit of faithfulness, by the way. Uh, the fruit of faithfulness and just being faithful where you are, doing what's in front of you, is that by the time November comes around, you can look back and just see Man, Lord, you've been so good, and I haven't wasted a year. Instead, I've invested my time, my talents, and my treasures in, in serving you, Lord, and abiding in you. And so that leads us to the book of the month. You've got to get this. I'm sure you've heard it if you've heard Pastor Greg Laurie's radio broadcast. Uh, it's his brand new book called The Jesus Revolution, How God Transformed an Unlikely Generation and How He Can Do It Again Today. And it's Pastor Greg's firsthand account of the Jesus movement through primarily the ministry of Calvary Chapel, of which we're a part of. Uh, and I have, in recent years, tried to get my hands on every single book I could that chronicles uh, the Jesus movement, uh, because that's where our church was birthed, uh, back with Pastor Chuck Smith in Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, 
And then, of course, my pastor, Jeff Johnson at Calvary Chapel and Downey, Greg Laurie, Skip Heitzig, Raul Reese. I mean, so many that have just poured their lives into the gospel, set the standard and set the example for us. And this book is, I'm on my second, just put it this way, I'm on my, I, I got an advanced copy to read, and I'm on my second time through it. And I love the way it's written. I love the firsthand accounts. And more than anything, it's not just a reminiscing look down memory lane, but it's a stirring look at how does God want to use us today? You know, the message never changes, but the methodology does. And we want to be used in these last days, and we want to see whatever God wants us to be a part of. We want to be a part of an uprising. We want to see the world turn upside down one more time before the coming of the Lord. So get it, please. Whether you want to support the ministry here, you want to get on Amazon, um, get it. It's called Jesus Revolution by Greg, Pastor Greg Laurie. You will be changed. So pick it up and be encouraged in the Lord. Call us right now so we can drop this in the mail to you. We're at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. Then join us next time when we'll pick up what we left off in 1 Kings here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel Aurora.